everyone, and welcome to Murder and Merlot. We are a true crime book club podcast. I'm your host, Tara. And I'm your host, Michelle. Are you ready for this, Michelle? No, no, I am. I mean, I am, but I'm not. I don't want to talk about it. I mean, the words are put together. <laughs> Technically, we're ready to record, but mentally, it's going to be uh, challenging. It's just so gross. Yes. We are talking so gross. about BTK today. And yes. I mean, and if I you mean, don't know about him, mm, you will. He's a big, gross pig. Yeah. That's what Michelle likes to say, yeah. and it's very true. So, yeah, yep. that's what we will be diving into today. So hold on to your butts. But first, yeah, some current events. Yeah, I have a Nina update. Nice. I'm so interested. So the pit bull, Nina, that was stolen, um, that I talked about in last week's morning news on January 6, 2021, Durham Regional Police tweeted, Good news. Investigators confirmed that the stolen dog, Nina, was located early this morning in Brampton in good condition. Nina has been reunited with her owner and her puppies. Mm. And police are still looking for the second suspect. So interesting. I mean, that's fantastic. Super happy that Nina is okay, but it still kind of makes you question the the theory that you had. Still so many questions. Right? very interesting yeah I'm so happy she was okay though oh absolutely she's such a oh she's beautiful such a good girl I know yeah gorgeous so so we're happy that she's reunited with her with her puppers that's awesome yes I know I was happy when I saw that I was like yeah. oh yay I have good Great. news some good news to put on this episode the bad news <laughs> awesome for the bad it's all gonna go downhill from here <laughs> totally <laughs> awesome and then yeah. so we should do some responses from our fluff and stuff from Absolutely. last well last time not last week yes yes that was from our uh new year's special episode so obviously we asked the question what is your new year's resolution what was your favorite response michelle um i got a text message from my buddy luke and he just said for the fluff and stuff just strive to be happy. And I just loved that. It's just so, just so simple and just, just be happy. Yeah. It's so simple, but it means so much because it's hard to to remember that sometimes that the goal is just to be happy. Yeah. And I loved it. Absolutely. And what, what about you? What were (laughs) your favorite, what was your favorite spot? (laughs) We had one on Instagram uh, from Melissa and she just said, no, (laughs) like, she was not here for the New Year's <laughs> resolution. And I'm like, that's fine. That's fine. You don't need a New Year's resolution. Like, that's up to you. No. No. Yeah, love it. Cool. <laughs> Sounds you do good. you. You do you, girl. Um, and then my other favorite one was from Angela on Facebook. And she said, I want to listen to people with an open mind in the new year and use less judgment, which is so sweet. That's very very sweet i was going to try another word but no sweet is just perfect (laughs) especially with all the the craziness that has been the last year and everybody i feel like is putting out their opinions whether they're you know asked for or not everybody's like here you go so it's it's been a little difficult (laughs) so try to be kind to each other and less judgmental and let's just all get along (laughs) Just lift each other up. Like, I feel like. Just be good humans. That was just coming out like the scene from Mean Girls. And the guy's like, she doesn't even go here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. That's um, amazing. Do you go here? No, I just have a lot of feelings. <laughs> That's me right now. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Awesome. Oh. Well, let's do the thing. Uh-huh. Do you want to do the thing? I want to do the thing. Grab your glass and get cozy. Let's talk about murder. Tink, tink. And uh, neither of us are drinking wine tonight. It's not a wine night, apparently. Nope. I have no wine or there would be a whole bottle sitting over here. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, I'm uh, apparently very low on my wine supply, I found out today. It's very concerning because I stocked up quite well this 
earlier last year, <laughs> but apparently, well, I drank the last thing on my rack yesterday and it was a bottle of champagne. So <laughs> let's festive for the new year. Uh, yeah, I got a, right? I got a, Why I got not? a rum and Coke because I'm like, I need something stronger tonight. Yeah. Yep. And I have a white claw cause I'm basic. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> That's just how it is. Yes. All right. Um, before we start, I just want to let everybody listening know that this episode does involve talk about animal abuse and child murder. So just prepare yourself, trigger warning, whatever you need. Don't listen, listen, whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Cool. But I just want to throw it out there. Yes. Yeah. And if you can't tell, this case is extremely frustrating. It will make you angry. And I want to apologize ahead of time, but I will say things that are not professional. And uh, sorry, I have some words written down on a piece of paper in front of me, and they're pretty, (laughs) pretty ridiculous. But I need to be prepared with some insults because this guy deserves some pretty, you know, pretty out there insults. Yeah. And and we'll talk about it more after, I think, after... Mm-hmm. next episode but yeah. why he we're so bothered by him and yes. Yes. get into that a bit because I mean all serial killers are bad dudes absolutely like, that's a great point there's okay. not one good one I wanted to mention that as well because I talk a lot about how much I hate BTK but I want to make it clear that I hate all serial killers and I think a lot of people get that wrong about us true crime fans that we are in love with serial killers or we have this weird like no, they're disgusting. They're horrible. Thing. We are not the groupies from Richard Ramirez court cases. That is Ugh. not us. We hate those people. We are not those people. I just want to make that clear. No. We hate yes, so. serial killers. We are just fascinated by true crime and psychology. And that is why we're here. Yeah. And yeah, we will definitely talk more about our feels about BTK. And yes why we are so angry and hateful and resentful towards him so exactly yeah all right Michelle, take it away okay here we go dennis raider also known as the btk killer was born march 9th 1945 to dorothea may raider and william elvin raider in columbus kansas he was the first of four boys in the family he spent a lot of time at both of his grandparents' farms that were near, near to Columbus. And when he was four, the family moved to Wichita. His dad worked for G&E Electric, and his mom was a bookkeeper for Leaker's IGA grocery store. Raider spent his time fishing at the river, feeding chickens, playing in the yard. His favorite places were at his grandparents' farms. From a young age, he became fascinated with bondage and silky material, He would play with his grandma's silky hair ribbons, and when he found his mom's silky nighties, he enjoyed touching them and sometimes wearing them. He loved the show Deadly Do Right, especially scenes where a beautiful woman was tied to the train tracks. And as he grew, his fascination with these things grew. He was eventually playing with ropes and things and tying himself up and autoerotic asphyxiating himself so that he could get, quotes, release. He had nicknamed his penis Sparky. Ugh. And and he basically was in quest to achieve orgasm, or in his words, sparky big time. Gag. I hate it so much. (laughs) I hate it. That is the only time I will refer to it as that, because I can't even. Thank you. Thank you. I mean. (laughs) But it's, it's important that our listeners understand that he's got all of these names and Mm -hmm. things about everything he's got a name he's got a code word for everything literally everything and that's what he chooses is sparky big time for for that i just can't even for that for that also the amount of times that i have to talk about this dude's spunk is unsettling so i'm sorry again we apologize (laughs) it is it's not going to be the most appropriate episode (laughs) sorry mom Um, he had what he called hidey holes in his basement at his, and at his grandparents' farms where he kept his things that he used to get off with. And he started tying up farm cats and strangling them or hanging them. 
and he found that his sexual satisfaction was greater with the struggling and dying cats than when he did these things to himself. Mm. He attended Kansas Wesleyan University, but dropped out after attending only one year and then joined the Air Force. He served from 1966 to 1970 as an Air Force communication linesman and took assignments that kept him out of Vietnam. He traveled to Greece, Turkey, South Korea, and Okinawa, Japan. Rader referred to his time in the service as vacation-like. Two of his older brothers, however, served in Vietnam, one as a Marine and the other in the Navy, and they never talked about their time in in the service much, but neither really cared for their brother attributing his time in the service as the same as theirs. After arriving back home in Wichita, he was introduced to a young woman named Paula. Through friends of his parents, they attended the same church and thought that they might make a cute couple. Rader and Paula started dating regularly, and he fell in love. Most of his dark thoughts disappeared for the time being, as he was happy with his life and his love. Rader proposed on Christmas 1971, and they were married in May. They rented a small house with a good landlord. Life appeared to be wonderful. Meanwhile, Dennis was still hiding his dark side. He was attending Butler Community College in El Dorado and earned his associate's degree in electronics. He hid his bondage porn in the house in places where Paula wouldn't find it, and he had many hiding spots at the college and would troll around the college, but never acting on his impulses, just practicing self-bondage. Rader was working for Coleman, the camping supply company. Although it paid good, he found it boring, so he quit and went to work for Cessna Aircraft Company. Quote from Sons of a Serial Killer by Catherine Ramsland. Paula and I were happy. We started thinking of buying this rental house and starting a family. We were volunteering at Christ Lutheran Church as youth sponsors. These were good days for us. In 1974, Rader was laid off from his job at Cessna, where he worked as an electrical tech. Once he was laid off, he could no longer fight off the urge to satisfy his needs to complete one of his darkest fantasies. Factor X is what he calls the part of him. That needs to kill. Like yeah. I said, he's got a name for everything. Mm-hmm. The night he was let go from his job, angry and frustrated, and home alone because Paula was off singing with her church choir, his mind went to sex, since everything in this man's life is dictated by his erection. So he decided to go out and prowl. He already had the neighborhood in mind, and he had been casing it for a while. He broke into a house and took a few things, drill bits, tools, a hatchet and such, nothing fancy, but he needed to do something to appease the bulge in his pants. (laughs) You like that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, it's going to get worse. Don't, don't worry. Oh, I know. (laughs) He went home, told his wife about the layoff and then went on pretending he was fine. Meanwhile, while Paula was at work, he was planning on abducting a bank teller from their bank. And after watching her and learning her routine, he attempted to force his way into her car on her lunch break. She screamed and fought back, and he apologized, told her he was just trying to steal her car, and said he would leave her alone. He ditched his ski mask and parka and ducked into the mall nearby and avoided being detected. After his botched abduction, he was about to start at Wichita State University studying administration of justice. Feeling completely emasculated as his wife was the sole breadwinner, So he decided he would try to take a victim in a house, get them in his car, and then take them out to one of his grandparents' farms and hang them. He knew from semi-hanging himself to get himself off that this would please his underpants gremlin and achieve Sparky big time. Okay, I said it twice. I'm sorry. Liar. (laughs) You said it again. (laughs) Sorry. I forgot about that one. He spotted Julie Otero and began stalking her learning her routine and locking in on her for about two weeks. He prepped his hit kit, which is his bag full of horrible, disgusting tools that he took to every murder. And in it, there was a rough hemp rope, a 22 LR pistol and other tools and set out after his wife left for work on January 15th, 1974. Dressed in his green Air Force parka, He parked a couple blocks away and arrived at the Otero house at exactly 8.20 in the morning. He knew from his stalking that Joseph Otero left the house for work around 8. The older three children had been taken to school, and Julie and her two younger children, Joey and Josephine, were at home. Raider, of course, did not know their names at this point. He learned them after the fact when he heard about it on the news. He jumped the back fence and cut the phone line. 
He observed dog footprints in the snow and almost backed out of the whole thing because the dog made things unpredictable. And he liked dogs, so he didn't really want to hurt the dog. He said later if he'd known about the dog, he likely would have not chosen the Otero family. As he was standing near the back door, contemplating whether or not to go forward, Joey Otero, age nine, opened the door. And with a gun in hand, Raider pushed himself into the house. Joseph Otero, who had not gone to work that day because he'd been in a car accident and had cracked ribs, came from the bedroom, hearing his wife call out. Raider told them that he was AWOL from the Air Force and was wanted by the police, and he needed money and food. The Oteros offered him their wallets and their car keys, but said their car was low on gas. The Otero's dog was making Raider uncomfortable, so he insisted that they put it outside. After that, Raider began by tying them up. He loosened and redid Joseph Otero's bonds a couple times and laid a pillow down for him so he could be more comfortable because of his injuries. Once everyone was bound, he strangled Joseph Otero with the hemp cord, noting that he didn't realize how much strength it took to actually strangle someone. He then strangled Julie Otero and let up when she stopped moving. He moved to Josephine, who was 11 years old, and strangled her with his hands. Then he was going for Joey. He noticed that Joseph Sr. was beginning to wake up. He decided to change his tactic and use a plastic bag to asphyxiate the family. He placed a bag over Joseph's head and tied it. Then he did the same to Joey. Julie Otero was now awake again, so she too also had a bag placed over her head, and he used a clove hitch knot to complete the job. Joseph was trying to rub a hole in the bag over his head on the bedpost. Raider then took a belt he found in the room and applied it to his neck, and Joseph finally stopped moving. Raider moved Joey to another bedroom and placed a t-shirt and another bag over his head to prevent any holes in the bag. In his struggle to get air, he rolled off the bed and then quit. Now, Raider moved back to the little Josephine, and holy trigger warning. If you thought it couldn't get worse, it does. So, it's bad. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, he took her to the basement. She was waking up and groggy. He removed her pants and underwear and tore off her bra. And then he put her shirt back down. He then retied her legs and attached the rope from her waist to her leg ties. Then he hung her from a sewer pipe, and as she hung there dying, he masturbated onto her legs. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> I was prepared with all of these insults, but none of them do it justice. Fuck no, that guy. I hate him so much. I hate him so much. That poor baby was 11. 11. Oh my god. That's horrible. 11. Oh, okay. Yeah. He then, satisfied with what he had done, moved around the house, cleaned some things up, and turned the thermostat up to throw off time of death, gathered his belongings, and then got himself a glass of water, washed the glass, and put it back. He said he did this at his other places, and it became his secret trademark. So lame. Um, you had a glass of water? Yeah. Super cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. All the eye rolls. All of them. He actually um, says that he has, in the book, he claims to have two or three trademarks. I can't remember oh, what they all are at the moment, but yeah. He's They're like, all... that's my trademark. He just, he wanted to be such a like cool serial killer, like the best one. And this is all the secret things I did. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> he took Joseph Otero's watch and a transistor radio and left in their car. He drove a couple of blocks and ditched their car and walked back to his car. Once there, he realized he'd forgotten his knife that he'd cut the phone wire with. So he drove back to the Otero house, retrieved his knife and drove home. Once home, he cleaned himself up and took all of his planning notes and the leftover cord from strangling the family and burnt it all in the woods. After school that day, the older Otero children arrived home. They discovered their dog outside, and the family car was gone. Both things they found odd. 13-year-old Carmen and 14-year-old Danny went in and discovered the bodies of their parents. One of them cut the rope and removed the bag from their dad's head. The oldest boy, Charlie, who was 15, arrived home at this point, and his siblings called him to the bedroom. They initially thought their parents were playing some sort of trick on them, but very quickly they knew it was no trick. They ran to a neighbor's to call the police. Can you even imagine? 
no. getting home from school, not only to discover that your parents are dead, but that they have been brutally murdered. And you have no idea where your younger siblings are and that you're now an orphan. You can't, you can't even comprehend that. No, it's like, what? No, the worst. those poor, poor children. I just, oh, my heart just broke, just broke. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched actually an ABC special on Dennis Rader and they interviewed Charlie Otero. Oh. Uh, and he was quoted saying, my father was a really outgoing, jovial kind of guy. And my mom, a very caring, loving Catholic woman. She was a mother first, you know. He said in that interview that he remains forever grateful that he did not see his siblings when he went into the house. Quote, I thank God every day for the fact that I didn't find Joey and Josie because I don't know how I would have handled it. Police collected DNA from the crime scene, but it was 1974. DNA wasn't yet used to solve a crime and wouldn't be until 1986. They found the Otero car and were unable to identify a suspect from the fingerprints found in the car. It's so frustrating because so many things went so wrong and he should have been. He's a bumbling idiot. He thinks he's so smart, but like almost all of them, he tried to strangle, but they all came back. So then he had to do it again. He forgot his knife at the Mm -hmm. scene and had to return to go get it. He, he returns to his crime scenes all the time because he forgets things. Because he's a slimy shit The worst. Biscuit. <laughs> slimy shit biscuit. Ooh, I like that insult. That's, that's like the it. first one for today. But it's, it's just so frustrating. And he leaves DNA and fingerprints, but they're not able to identify him at that point. It's just like, ah, God. And I know. And it's all too, like, infuriating. he could have just, like, turned around at that point. And just like, nope, this isn't the place in the Otero family could have been left alone. And oh my God. How about turn around, get yourself some fucking counseling and like, don't be a shit human being. That would be the best case scenario. I mean, but probably turn yourself into the cops. Like he's too narcissistic and he loves this part about him. And it's just so infuriating. I know. I think he loves this part of himself more than he loves the other part of himself. I think so. I think so too. He puts so much time and effort into what he thinks is perfecting it, but really he's just a, he's just an idiot. Yeah. It's not good. Raider collected newspaper clippings and articles about the Otero murders and hid them away in his hidey holes. But he was high on the feelings he had gotten from the murders, and shortly after, he started trolling for victims again. As he was attending university classes, he was avoiding suspicion from his wife by saying he was late because he was at the library or studying. He called the people he was following projects, and he had elaborate plans for each of them in his head as he stalked and watched them. One day after classes, while out being creeper extreme, he saw Catherine Bright at her mailbox. She fit his fantasy profile perfectly, a co-ed, dishwater blonde and small. He waited for her to go into her house, and he looked in her windows. She appeared to live alone and did not have a dog. He knew this was his next victim. On April 4th, 1974, Raider armed with his freshly prepped hit kit, which included leather golf gloves that he had stolen instead of using kitchen rubber gloves like he'd used at the Otero house, which... What? Like... You're going to go do these horrible things and you're wearing like rubber gloves that you clean toilets with? Right? Weird. Anyways. Anyways. So weird. He stole some golf gloves so he could look cooler, I guess. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just envisioning this bumbling idiot wearing big old yellow dish washing gloves. Like, (laughs) I know. But White holding a gun on you. <laughs> White trash nut waffle. Amazing. That's what you are. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> he approached her house and he knocked on the front door. He saw her car there, so he expected that she would be home. He had some ass clown excuse that he was going to use when she opened the door as to why he knocked, but there was no answer. He went around back and broke in and waited for her to arrive home. He hadn't been in the house for too long when he heard car doors outside and looked out and saw her and a man coming to the house. 
he approached them at the front door with his gun in his hand. He told them he was wanted in California and needed a car, which good story. Her car was literally outside. Mm -hmm. So why the hell would you be in her house? Yeah, it's not a good Anyways. place to try to steal vehicles is inside a building. You could try outside. Not generally. Just saying. Right. He forced the pair into a bedroom and tied them up using things he had found in the house. He didn't bring his typical hit kit, but a smaller kit to avoid suspicion. So this is why he wound up using things from the house. And he claims that if he'd had his normal stuff, then things would have ended differently than it did. The unknown man was Kevin Bright, Catherine's brother. Once they were both tied, Raider moved Catherine to another room and went back to deal with Kevin. Well, Kevin is a badass. And Kevin was not going to go down without a fight. When Raider began strangling him, he broke the bonds that Raider had tied on him and quickly jumped up. Raider pulled his gun out and fired and shot him in the head. Once he was on the ground, Raider figured that was it. He didn't have to worry about him anymore. So he went, moved back to Catherine. He started strangling her. She fought too, because she's also a badass and her bonds loosened, but he was able to overpower her and he tied her to a chair. But then he heard movement from the other room again. So he went back and tried to re-strangle Kevin. But like I said, Kevin is a fighter and he was not having it. He wound up stealing one of Raider's guns because he carried two with him, but Raider fired his other one, quote, John Wayne style meaning he didn't aim, he just fired and hit him in the mouth. So stupid. <laughs> I know. Like, what's the point in firing if you're not going to aim? Like, right? What are you going to obtain? I but mean, contrary to popular belief from TV shows, handguns are a lot more difficult to aim and hit things with than it looks. So yeah, you need to kind of try yeah. a little bit. You can't just <laughs> yeah hold it out and go, bam, you're dead now. Like... Sorry. Right, which yeah, not right, that's to... exactly what Raider expected. Well, exactly, because it's all just a fantasy to him. It's all just like mm -hmm. some big, like movie. It's ugh, it's ridiculous. Right, it's like no, this is westerns real life. and spy movies, and yeah, right. nope, everything was in his fantasy world. Yeah, Kevin fell to the floor, and Raider left him there, and didn't check to see if he was alive or dead, and went back to Catherine. Her bonds were slipping, and she was struggling to get away. Raider attempted to strangle her again, but she kept fighting him because she is a badass. So Raider pulled out his buck knife and just started stabbing her. While he was stabbing her, he heard the front door slam. Kevin had just escaped. When he'd shot him, he shot out his two front teeth. Wow. <laughs> like, that was a lucky shot for not aiming. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it definitely sucks <laughs> regardless to get shot anywhere but it's amazing that no but oh in the he teeth yeah police did later find his teeth at the crime scene raider quickly cleaned up and left after he heard that kevin had escaped though um catherine was still moaning in the bedroom she was still alive when he left he took catherine's id and had her car keys he got into the truck that they had arrived in but they were not the keys for that vehicle so he went back through the house the way he arrived cut his leg on broken glass oh and God. started to run. Oh my God. Right. And he ran to where he ditched his car. He got home before Paula got home and he cleaned up everything, took his bloody clothes and shoes to his parents' farm and hid it there for a few days till he could get back and burn it. Kevin had run to a neighbor's and called police. He was badly injured and needed treatment. And when police arrived at his sister's place, she was still alive, but in bad condition. She was able to give her name and age and point at her stab wounds before passing out. She had 11 stab wounds to the front and back of her torso, and she died in surgery. Kevin gave a description of the attacker to police. He was white, about 25, 5'11", stocky, around 180 pounds, dark hair, and a mustache. He'd worn gloves, and he'd been sweating profusely. There was a fairly accurate sketch drawn up of what Raider was expected to look like as well. Mm -hmm. Like a syphilistic swamp rat? Something like that? Syphilistic swamp rat. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah, thank you. 
<laughs> I'm bowing down. Queen of insults, man. I mean, <laughs> if only I was the one that actually came up with that it is entirely random. <laughs> Love it. Syphilistic swamp rat. Thank you. I'm an artist. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. After the disaster at Catherine Bright's, he needed to get released like he did at the Oteros. So he kept trolling through the summer and did break into some houses, but didn't find the right target. But he was needing credit for the murders he committed because he's a narcissistic asshole. Mm -hmm. He was bothered that there had been three men that had been brought into custody and questioned about the Otero murders, men claiming that they knew something. Rader typed out a letter and planted it at the public library inside a book called Applied Engineering Mechanics. Then he called Don Granger, a columnist at the Wichita Eagle, and told him where to find the letter that outlines the details of the Otero murders and would prove that they had the wrong guys. He signed the letter with BTK, and he explained this stands for his MO, bind them, torture them, and kill them. This, of course, frustrated the Wichita police. The details in the letter confirmed without a doubt that the writer was the person that murdered the Otero family, as it was full of holdback evidence. At this time, he didn't let the police know that he was also responsible for Catherine and Kevin Bright. At home, Raider and Paula were enjoying married life, dreaming of family and attending church and neighborhood barbecues. Raider got a job at ADT, installing security systems, and he and Paula found out they were expecting their first child. Life moved forward. Their son, Brian, was born July 26, 1975. Paula quit her job to be a stay-at-home mom, and Raider was busy working and being a dad, and he was still attending university classes. The police were at a standstill with their investigation into the Otero and Bright murders, and there was no more communications with BTK for the time being. I think my like, but... problem with BTK, like just the acronym itself, he's not even good at the binding or the killing. Like, <laughs> But that's like your no. claim to fame. Like, Your victims have been struggling their way out of the binds, and you have because done you a terrible job of, I mean, eventually, yeah, people have died and it was horrible but you weren't very good at it like and be... i mean torture them yes because yeah, they're having because to be killed re-strangled and, and yeah. retied and like right because you're a bumbling idiot exactly but it's just like <laughs> oh i'm the best at this i need a cool name but it's like no you're actually fucking terrible you're and actually the fucking worst but raider could only suppress his dark side for so long he started to get restless with the routine of go to work, come home, being a loving husband and father, repeat. Because, you know, that's such a horrible life. Right? It's just the like, it's not. It's kind of the best. But, you know, yeah. you know that's you're really lucky a to lot be of able people... to have people that love you. Exactly. A lot of people work really hard to have that life. And some people can't accomplish that life. And that really sucks. But you just take it for granted. I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's not good enough. <sighs> Part of the reason I think that's why we hate him. True. <laughs> but, you know. True. He started trolling again, telling his wife that he had to go to the library to study for his college courses. His poor wife, who was at home cooking and cleaning and being a mama to their son, had no idea that he was such a fucking monster. He had a few fantasy projects and did attempt a few break-ins, but ultimately got scared off by dogs or police in the area or whatever. That was until March 17, 1977. He was ready to strike again. He had another house in mind that he was going to hit, but when he was on his way there, he saw a boy walking from the grocery store. And he was in the neighborhood that he'd been creeping it real in. So he was like, I'm going to approach this tiny human. You. Yeah. So he approached the boy. He pulled a picture from his wallet and asked him if he'd seen the woman and the baby in the picture. The boy said no and continued on his way. Raider then just watched him, assuming that his mother would be at his house. He approached the house carrying his briefcase hit kit and with the photo out, which, by the way, was a picture of his own wife and child because mm -hmm. he's that much of a shit stain. Yep. He knocked and the boy he'd seen on the street and a brother opened the door. He showed the boys the picture and said he was a private detective. The boy said that they hadn't seen the people in the picture. And then Raider pulled out his gun and forced himself into the house. 
their mom, Shirley Vianne, came out to see what was wrong. Raider told her that he had a problem with sexual fantasies and he was going to tie her up. He said he was going to tie up her children first, but that they would be okay if she cooperated. Tying up the kids, however, did not go well. They were crying. She was getting agitated. They were fighting him. So instead, he put them in a bathroom. Shirley helped to settle the kids with blankets and toys. And then Raider pushed a bed in front of the door so they couldn't get out. He tied up Shirley, who was actually sick with the stomach flu. So after she was tied, she vomited. Just when you think the flu couldn't get any worse, this jackass is in your house. Mm-hmm. Going to tie you up and kill you. Right. While your children are I hope she, and locked up. I know. I hope she vomited on him. In, in none of my research did it, did it say that, but I hope she did. Me too. Deserves it. Deserves so much worse than that, but. That'd be something. Yeah. After she vomited, Raider got her a glass of water and claimed to have comforted her. He claimed to be quite compassionate to his victims because remember, he gave Mr. Otero a pillow Mm -hmm. so he could be more comfortable. Right. And, you know, he readjusted how he had him tied so he could be more comfortable. And he always has to point that out like, oh, remember that nice thing that I did for them to make them comfortable? I was so... Nice to that. So nice. I don't know why you're so mad. And then you tortured and murdered them because you're such a nice fucking guy. Yeah. Shit stain. God. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways. Then he taped her hands behind her back and tied her legs to the bedpost, then looped the rope around her neck and put a bag over her head and he strangled her. Her children were pounding on the door and yelling at him to leave their mother alone. Raider threatened to shoot them, but then was startled when the phone rang. He gathered up his things and left. Once he left, the older of the two boys, who was only eight, broke the bathroom window and climbed out to get help, leaving his six-year-old brother with their younger sister. He ran to the neighbors and police were called to the scene. Shirley Vianne was nude, face down on the bed, bound with a bag over her head. She was deceased when police arrived. Those poor, poor babies. Ugh. It's awful. I hate it. I hate it. Raider went home. He burnt his clothes and hid his hit kit and his trophy. Trophy being Shirley Vianne's underwear. Later, he would relive the crime by wearing his victim's underwear or other bedroom items such as nighties, robes, or pantyhose. He put himself into self-bondage and would masturbate. Oftentimes, he did this in his parents' basement when they were away on vacation. Lovely. Lovely. He kept these special items in a lock suitcase in his shed or at the back of his closet. At the end of 1977, Raider learned that he was going to be a father again. Paula was expecting their second child. He was excited, but not as excited as he was to complete another project. He continued trolling neighborhoods and found his next victim. Raider has said that this project was one of the few that went perfectly. He zeroed in on Nancy Fox. He watched her go into her house one night while he was out trolling and then began stalking her. He learned that she lived alone. She had no dog or boyfriend and no unexpected visitors coming and going. He went through her mailbox to learn her name and where she worked. And he cased her house to learn the best way to get in and even practiced using a glass cutter on an old window in his shed so he wouldn't have to break the window and he would be able to get in without drawing as much attention. He chose his date, December 8, 1977, told his wife that he was going to study at the library, parked his car a few blocks away, and hid his gear under his parka. He knocked on her door, and when there was no answer, he went around back, cut the phone line, cut the window, and entered the house and waited in her kitchen for her to arrive. When she arrived home, she was obviously startled. Again, he told her that he had a sexual problem. He was going to tie her up and take pictures of her and have sex with her. He handcuffed her hands behind her back and then laid her on the bed, tied her legs, and gagged her. He then climbed on top of her and strangled her with a belt. Raider has claimed different accounts as to what happened next. In one version of his story, he said she died quickly. In the other version, which from the police report sounds more accurate, He would strangle her until she passed out, then let her wake up again, then start the process over, taking the belt off and replacing it with pantyhose tightly wrapped around her neck, 
and removing the handcuffs, he tied her hands with pantyhose as well. He then couldn't take it anymore. He masturbated into her blue nightgown while watching her struggle to breathe. As she was dying, he was rifling through her things and took some souvenirs, some jewelry, some lingerie, and her driver's license. Once she was dead, he cleaned up, got himself his super secret glass of water, and turned up the heat. He put his treasures in a pillowcase and hid them in the front yard. He walked to get his car, then drove back to pick them up. Then he called his wife from a payphone to tell her he had car trouble and he was going to be late. In Serial Killer's Daughter by Carrie Rawson, she talked about how her mom would be waiting at home with supper, ready when her dad would be late, and she would snack on Ritz crackers and feed them to the kids while waiting for Raider to get home. His poor wife kept his friggin' supper warm for him while he was out murdering innocent people. Like, infuriating. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, just can't even. I just hate that somebody loved him and he just, like, no appreciation at all about his family that loved him so much. And then he would go out and destroy other people's families as if he didn't know what that love was like. Like, fuck you. Yes, you do. You have it at home waiting for you. But instead, you're choosing to go out to ruin people's lives so they can't have that. Right. Right. It's awful. Like, so disgusting. Like, I can't think of another word. It's hard to articulate because it is so frustrating. (laughs) I mean, I get frustrated enough if I've cooked supper and my husband is late coming home from somewhere. And I'm like, okay, well, like. I'm going to feed the kids. Yeah. And I'm going to be bitchy when you get home. We're going to eat and you're right? going to have whatever's left. So <laughs> there you go. Right. And from what it sounds like, she was not like that. She's yeah. like, oh, it's okay. We'll just have a little snack. It'll be fine. No, it's not okay. Nope. <laughs> sure isn't. You poor woman. Yeah. And I just can't stop thinking about the things that must have gone through her head after she found out the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. Like she could be like, oh, I waited for him that night yeah. or, oh, you know, cause trauma makes you remember stupid shit. So she'd be like, I made meatballs or whatever. Absolutely. And he killed this lady yeah. while he locked her children in. Yeah. Well, his daughter room or whatever <laughs> had so many moments like that. Like, Oh, that night, you know, I broke my arm. You know, she remembered those things or thinking about that picture that he used to show the boy and thinking like, what <laughs> picture was it? of my mom and my brother, did they show that family before he murdered their mom? Like, it's terrible. I know. But all those thoughts just- It's so awful. Would constantly just pop in your head. Bombard you all the time. Mm -hmm. This trauma is fun. It's not really. (sighs) Now, Nancy Fox lived alone and it was very likely that it could be a while before she was found. And- Raider, needing attention, he couldn't leave it alone. He called the police from a payphone on his lunch break at work the next day, muffled his voice and said, yes, you will find a homicide at 843 South Pershing, Nancy Fox. He then left the receiver hanging and went back to work. Police investigated the call and discovered Nancy's body bound and gagged. Her body was covered by a pink sweater. Her panties were pulled down and semen stains were found in a blue nightgown. Cause of death was strangulation. Raider, who was a team leader for ADT, sent his crew to work that afternoon and then headed out to a job, listening to a radio, eager to hear the report of his murder. I fucking hate this guy. I do hate too. him. I just, sorry, like I'm not going to stop telling everybody about how much I hate this guy. <laughs> and I'm not kink shaming anybody. Like you do you. You want to bondage, tie yourself up, do your thing whatever whatever if it's love it consensual and it's not hurting anybody else then fucking go for it go nuts you do you don't care don't fucking murder people Mm -hmm. or rape people pretty simple anything else right yeah don't be a horrible disgusting human being Mm -hmm. just go off do your bondage shit at your grandparents house or your parents house i guess Whatever. Just don't involve anybody else if you're going to be like that. Right. Yeah. Or find a partner who's consenting with you and have your fun. Exactly. Go nuts. 100%. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, 
before I ended today, I did want to talk a bit more about his victims because it's important to remember them as more than just his body count. Absolutely. Um, so I have some details about each of them and I will break your heart. So mm-hmm. here we go. Joseph Otero was 38 when he was murdered. He was born in Puerto Rico and emigrated to the United States when he was young. He was a champion boxer. He married the love of his life and was the father of five children. He served in the United States Air Force for more than 20 years, and he retired as a master sergeant. He worked as a mechanic and flight instructor. He played the bongos. He loved cars and was fun and outgoing. He also loved to cook and collected exotic recipes when he was traveling the world during his time in the service. He was a loving husband and a proud father with high ideals for his children. Julie Otero was 33 when she was murdered. She was born in Puerto Rico and was very proud of her heritage. She was popular and vivacious. She met the love of her life and they dated for two years before getting married in a huge ceremony. She was a mom of five children and she taught them all Spanish. She was very patient and never got mad. She had a brown belt in judo and a strong Catholic faith. Josephine Otero was 11 when she was murdered. She was shy and sensitive. She was in the sixth grade and she had an easy temperament. She had a yellow belt in judo and liked to play with Barbies. She was the best student in the family and was very close with her sister, Carmen. Joseph Otero Jr., Joey, was nine when he was murdered. He was popular in his fourth grade class. He was athletic, a fast runner, and excelled in judo. His dog, Lucky, who was his birthday present when he turned five, was his best friend. Those babies never even had a chance to live. It's not fair. Catherine Bright was 21 when she was murdered. She was one of five children. She loved to sing in the church choir. She graduated from high school in 1971 and went to work for Coleman. Yes, the same Coleman that Dennis Rader worked at. Hmm. She was a smart, popular, and funny college student. Shirley Vianne Relford was 26 when she was murdered. She always seemed happy and loved to sing in the church choir. She was a mom of three beautiful children, Bud, Stephen, and Stephanie, and they were her world. Nancy Fox was 25 when she was murdered. She was smart and hardworking and had a good sense of humor. She worked days as a full-time secretary for a construction company and nights at a jewelry store. She was a daughter and a sister and was very loved. Oh, my heart. I know. Right in the feels. Absolutely. Um two things. One, I said it before in the Oklahoma bombing case that we talked about. Well, when you say people's ages and, you know, facts about them, it just mm-hmm. makes it so much more real, which is, I mean, it's good that you can actually see these people mm-hmm. as human beings as people. they actually were. they were. And they're not just names on a piece of paper and they're not just no a victim count. Like, no when you look at it from the outside, I don't know. I always picture people like, oh, it was like some adult living life or whatever. But then I don't know something about the ages, like 26 years old, 25 years old. Like I'm older than that. I know. And it doesn't like, I don't feel like I had a full life. That's so right. not fair. Right. So to have that taken from you and, and you have so much left to do. Exactly. And not even, not even mentioning the children. Like that's just fucked. It's awful. It's, it's unforgivable. It's right up. There's no mm-hmm. justification for that at all. But no. he, he loves to talk about it as if it is. And they're just these little pawns in his game. And it's. And he's so proud of those accomplishments. Those Absolutely. murders are his proudest accomplishments. Yes. Like, fuck you. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, what was my other point? Oh, yes. Um, (laughs) No, that's fine. Again, I just wanted to reiterate that I really appreciate you putting this at the end of the story, just as a reminder about these people, because we tend to focus a lot on the perpetrators, the serial killers, the murderers. Obviously, we're interested in that. But again, we feel for these victims so much. And I also found it really interesting that um, we have a bit of a leg, so we're talking over each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I found it really interesting that pretty much all of his victims had strong faith in God. Mm -hmm. He's claims to be a Christian 
believes in God, mm-hmm. you know, all of that stuff. And he's choosing these people who are so pure hearted and mm-hmm. have their strong faith. And, you know, he believes that he's going to be in heaven with them after it's all said and done, which does. I, I'll talk about that more ne- next episode, yeah, but absolutely. But yeah. Yeah. Where, where they are, they're right in the Bible belt, which we've talked about in the past, but well, yes. Yes. So there's so much faith and religion there. And for him to be faith, like a yeah. big part of that community, because he was, is just infuriating mm-hmm. that <laughs> I know he thinks he's, he's up there with God. And this does not affect him in the afterlife, even though he believes in that. No, because he asked for forgiveness. So it just, it all goes away. It's all forgiven. Yeah. I personally. It's super frustrating. Do not agree with that. And again, I'm not religious. I don't know how these things work. I've not studied any faith, but I do not think there's any forgiveness for these actions at all. How could there be? But again, I'll talk more about that a little sidebar to dive into in next episode. But um, Dennis himself has some thoughts and opinions as to why he is the way he is. Most of them stem back to his mother, who from everyone else's accounts was a lovely human, Mm -hmm. a good mother, a Christian, and a loving wife. His mom fell off a horse when she was pregnant with him. So he thinks that's when this started. Plus... She got her arm caught in a sofa when he was a child on her bracelet or or ring got stuck in like a spring and she was like stuck and panicking. And so he had to run to his grandparents for help. And he thinks this is why he's so fascinated with bondage because she was trapped and she couldn't move. And that was exciting for him. Right. (laughs) He also fell and hit his head as a child. And he thinks that these three things are what turned him into the monster that he is. He also apparently resented his mom because she worked and wasn't home all the time. How about Mm -hmm. you stop blaming your mother for being a badass working mom who had to put up with your shit even after you were a gross-ass adult? Mm -hmm. And how about you accept some responsibility for your actions instead of blaming your poor mother? Just try that, maybe. Absolutely. All of these things that he accounted for his problems are so minor. People go through horrible childhoods and they turn out so much better than this piece of shit. He's just I know. scrounging like if you think- for anything that he thinks could be related. Right. You want to talk about horrible mothers? Shelly Notek was a oh my horrible God. mother. Yeah. From the, If you tell, her three daughters are living beautiful lives. They're lovely. And their childhood was awful. Was the worst. But now they're, they're teachers and lawyers and they're doing good things because they're choosing to take that experience yeah, and making it so that other people don't have to experience it. Their children don't have to go through what they went through because they know how right. horrible it is. And this guy is just fucked up in the head and he's trying to put it on somebody else when there is nobody else to blame. His mom, who's like the only person who loves you unconditionally. And fuck you. Just like you said, <laughs> she's a hardworking mom. She is working her ass off to put food on the table and to provide a good life for him. And he goes around and and his like three her? other brothers. Exactly. Like I no. know a lot of working moms. Like I've seen you. Like it's that is not yeah. easy. That is so difficult. That's a job it's all on its fucking own. Hard is to raise children. And I don't even have We're, children. Well, you know, mine had me in tears before we started recording. I so <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I can recognize that it, it's not easy. And for anybody to just be like, oh, well, that's why I did all these horrible things. And I killed people is because my mom wasn't there for me. Well, she was. And you're just, she was, you're just the worst. And you need to just take worst. responsibility, but it's never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have a question here that's like, so Tara, what's your feels? But I think I know what your feels are. I'm sorry. I just had to keep like cutting in. To oh, you like, go. And the go, night. girl. <laughs> I just, we, we've said it so many times, but there is something about this guy that we just fucking cannot stand. And it's 
mostly to do with his goddamn attitude. Mm-hmm. And I will belittle him for his bad grammar. Man, that oh. fucker can't spell. Oh, my God. And it pisses me off because he thinks he's so goddamn smart. And then you read a letter that he's written and it's like, did you go to school? Did you go to middle school? Like we learned that grammar that you should be using in this instance in middle school. And you right. you're a goddamn genius. Yeah, I know. I, I know. know, I know, I know. Right. Anything I can pick apart about this guy, I will. Like his face, well, I want to punch it. His spelling, it's the worst. Like everything <laughs> drives me crazy about it. But him. it's because he puts himself on this fucking pedestal that he's like, I'm the best. And look at me. And like, these are my cute little quirks and my little secret things that I did. And I made all these little names. And it's just like, that's why you can pick it apart. It's because it's like, no, you're actually fucking stupid. <laughs> and like you're an idiot like you return to your crime scenes after you murder people like you leave your stuff there just to go back and pick it up like fuck right you cut open you... your freaking leg and your like leg everywhere like because you I... decided to go back through the house like oh my god i just like the image in my head of him like trying to like sneak around a house is just so cartoonish because he's just probably like bumping into shit and like falling over and i know just like, oh. whoop, whoop. but whoop. in his mind it's like a spy movie like mission impossible he thinks he's so goddamn cool but in he's reality got the music going he's like lasers yeah no right in reality no that's no. not what happened yeah 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 yeah. So that episode was a little rough, especially, oh, poor sweet Josie Otero. Oh my God. It's the worst. It's so bad. It's the worst. I'm yeah, sorry and... that you had to research that and put that into words. And I know that you had to do re- like Google searches that led to bad places. <laughs> and I apologize. Yeah, I, I saw her crime that. scene photo and it was yeah. terrible. That, it was terrible. That's haunting. It's not okay. I, I haven't seen it. Yeah. I don't want to. And I usually am a person. Don't go searching look, for it. I will look at crime scene photos. I like to be. Oh, yeah, I, I do, too. Like, like usually, I mean, I say it doesn't bother me. Obviously, I'm human. It's horrible. It does bother me. But that one in particular, I'm not going to go anywhere near. No, that. I No, nobody. needs Like to see that. Yeah, nobody needs to see that. It should be erased from the Internet forever. So, yep. yeah, if good only. times. Good times. Um. So. Next week, we will be covering his final three murders, mm-hmm. his life between murders, because there's a big gap, and um, his capture and conviction. Mm-hmm. And I cannot wait for Tara to throw some more insults at him. I'll so. have them ready. <laughs> I'm here for yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, but I need some fluff and stuff. Really? You do? Yeah, I do. <laughs> And um, my question is fun and I came across it. I was just like looking up, like get to know you questions. And this one came Mm -hmm. up, but I was like, that's could be hilarious. So um, my question is, if you had a warning label, what would it say? Great question. (laughs) Love that question. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) I'm definitely not reading from a piece of paper that I prepared earlier. No, not. That's totally fine. It's totally fine. (laughs) My caution label, my warning label would read, caution contains high levels of caffeine, which may result in irritability, (laughs) insomnia, and inappropriate and uncontrollable laughter. (laughs) Yes. Because that's that's me. I'm generally... (laughs) 100%. Especially in the morning. Um... Don't talk to me. <laughs> um, nope. I don't sleep. And if you can't tell from our podcast where we talk about horrible things, I tend to laugh constantly and I can't help that. So that's my word. Nervous laughter is still laughter. Yeah. <laughs> I feel bad because I listen back to our episodes and I'm like, I'm not laughing at the situation. That's, I don't know why that's coming out of my mouth. Nope. <laughs> it just does. Nope. It's because it's a coping mechanism. It's fine. Exactly. Yes, it's fine. Yeah. Michelle, I'm dying to know, what would your warning label say? Uh, It would say, warning, 
cries for all emotions yeah. with a little note underneath that also says mama bear will rip your heart out if you hurt her people yes don't touch the cubs mama bear will hurt don't touch you. my cubs yes mm-hmm. Absolutely. and like that applies to my yes. that applies to my friends my family, my babies for sure, but Absolutely. don't, mm-mm. don't mm-mm. mess. You can mess with mama bear all you want, but do not touch my babies. No. <laughs> so true. That's very accurate. No. I love it. I love it. What was the first part again? Yes. Um, cries for all emotions. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, which is, so I <laughs> also relate to that because when I get so yeah. worked up and angry, and then I start to cry. It's like, it's the worst thing ever, but I'm like, I don't know what else to do with all of these emotions. And then Tara and I can make each other cry. And yeah. so we've sat through a bunch of meetings together where we're just like fired up and angry. And like yeah. one of us is crying. The other one's trying not to cry. And it's now, like, it's trying to be awful. strong for you. and It's not working. Yeah. Angry crying is the worst. <laughs> Can't get through worst. a meeting without being like, and I'm the worst because once I start crying, I, I can't stop crying and I will go oh, can't stop. for the next three hours. And I'm like, this is so embarrassing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And your face is blotchy and red and you're just like, right. I, like, I started okay. with nice makeup today and now it's very clear that I right. was crying. Yeah. Right. It's so fun. Literally a four and a five-year-old made me cry tonight. So it's fine. I, it's fine. It's okay. Some days they're yeah. just like that. I mean. I didn't cry when my son told me I was the worst mama in the world the other day, oh. which I was like, Ooh, way to be strong. That hurts. <laughs> Doesn't it? Oh. All because I put him in his Ghostbusters t-shirt. Oh my God. My like Ghostbusters. I was like, Michelle, you're okay. This is like yesterday when you told me you didn't like cheese. <laughs> <laughs> what? Who are Dude. you? Dude. <laughs> You just have a lot of feelings right now <laughs> and you don't know what to do with just those feelings. Just feeling all the feels. But it's not your mom's That's fault. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. That's kind of hilarious. I mean, it, I'm sure that hurt, but the yeah. reason behind it is just, oh my God, dude. I know. I was like, wow, you're so ridiculous. It's kind of cute. I can't even. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah hilarious i'm glad we had that yeah. little laugh after so, that uh horribleness yeah it was good it was heavy mm. yeah. it's a lot yeah it is a lot it's a lot but i got through the worst of it honestly yeah the rest is bad it is absolutely but the otero murders but, are oh uh, it kills me there's man it's just those. not even cool <laughs> Boink. Did you see that? My mic just like it moved. <laughs> just like, okay, bye. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> You're done now. <laughs> okay. Okay, Mike. <laughs> also, before we go, I want to thank my mama because she bought me podcasting headphones for Christmas oh. and I got to wear them today for the first time and they're amazing. That's so exciting. So thank you, mama. Doesn't it Thanks make you supporting feel like Murder and Merlot? Yeah, thank you. Doesn't it make you feel like a professional? <laughs> I know. And, you know, I'm not wearing earbuds, so my ears are thanking me because, fuck, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Those things suck. They're the worst. So they yeah. do. Thanks, Ma. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Anyway, make sure to answer our question as well. If you had a warning label, what would it say? And obviously, let us know what you think about the episode. You can email us at murderedmerlot at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at murderedmerlotpodcast, Facebook at murderedmerlotpodcast, and Twitter at murderedmerlot1. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts. We would love if you subscribed. And if you don't, you're dead to me. Uh, Tara, mm-hmm. do you want to tell the people what they can look forward to in our next book? I do. It's been like driving me crazy. I just want to scream it from the top of the mountain that I will be covering Helter Skelter next. And oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) Michelle, you just screamed so loud that your mic was like, nope. And it cut out because it was like, it's too much. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. It was like, (laughs) calm down. But yes, I am. Settle down. I'm. (laughs) 
I'm thrilled. I'm terrified. I am so goddamn intimidated by this book and this story. Obviously, it's about the Manson murders. It's a lot. It's a lot, but I, I'm so excited. Yeah, I, I'm excited. Tara and I have read this book a lot. Mm-hmm. This will be my third time reading it. Yeah. And it's the book that got us really talking about this. So yes, we have some feels about Helter Skelter. Because I mean, we both read it when we were way too young. (laughs) Seriously, it it was what started both of our true crime fascination. Like, it's crazy that like, we come from different places. We are different ages. Like we grew up at different times in different places. I know. But like somehow, like I feel like this book connects us, and that's just really cool, and it means a lot. And I know I have to put the story into my own words and like mush it down into bite-sized pieces so that I can actually like articulate yeah. it back to people because oh, there's so much information in those books. But oh you God. you can do it. If yeah. I can do BTK, you can do Manson. I know, and that's why I I chose this book is because damn Michelle's doing BTK. And that's going to be tough. We need something to look forward to. And this was my choice to, you know, for solidarity, I chose a really difficult case for after this one. So, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's funny. I was actually talking to my parents last night and I was like, oh, mom, like, you're going to be excited. Next book is going to be awesome. Like, we actually have our shit together. We've got stuff planned. Like, what is happening? And my dad just like out of nowhere, he's like, you're doing Helter Skelter. And I was like, you don't even listen to us. What? How do you know? That's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I've been sprinkling in like lots of like hints here Mm -hmm. and there. Like, you know, my like Mm -hmm. TikToks have Mm -hmm. included a little Helter Skelter and, you know, I've just been mentioning, you know, the big case that's coming up about (laughs) death row and executions, whatever. I've just been sprinkling that Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wonder if anybody has, has noticed if you have. Let me know. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of interested to see if anybody picked up on that. <laughs> You're leaving secret codes in a BTK I, um, episode. God damn really? it. I don't really ever do. want to be compared to him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks for making me feel shitty. Sorry, I had to. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Uh, anyways. Yes, we're very excited about that one. So Yes. Yep. Hope you join us. Yes, and remember to drink wine because it's not good to keep things bottled up. Bye.